Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi everyone and welcome to Confessions of a Debut Novelist with me, your host, Chloe Timms. This week, I'm talking to Mira Vishar about her psychological suspense novel, Her. Mira is a writer, former city lawyer turned legal editor. She is the daughter of Indian African parents and lives in North London with her husband, three good dogs and one feral cat. In this episode, we discuss subverting stereotypes of British Asian women in fiction, how Mira added pace to her novel, and after her blog on the realities of being a debut gain traction online, Mira talks about how to manage expectations and to look after yourself. But first, here's Mira with an excerpt from her. The house draws me in like a magnetic force, standing tall and proud, picture perfect, as if every single brick has been immaculately polished, emitting a warm orange glow that fizzes through my fingertips. I take my time walking towards it, easing myself into every step, listening to the sound of my four-inch heels clicking on the pavement, my long cashmere coat brushing up against my bare legs. I tilt my head to the side, catching the scent of my freshly blow-dried hair bursting with honeydew and coconut, as does finest. He stands outside in a pressed navy suit, stretched tightly over his stocky frame, with slicked back hair a touch too wet. He's younger than he sounded on the phone. This must be his first big-ticket sale. I bet he can almost taste that 2.5% commission. As I edge closer, he looks up, unable to stop himself from raising his eyebrows. I know what he must be thinking. This can't be her, can it? I expected someone different. Mrs Rhodes, he asks quickly, before offering me a limp, clammy palm. Please, call me Serena. Paul? I don't recognise my own voice. It seems different somehow, as if squeezed out through pursed lips. My palms start to itch and my cheeks flush red hot. What if he can see right through me, that I don't belong here, looking to buy this house in this neighbourhood? I'm already five minutes late, and I notice the irritation crinkling his brow. I'm about to apologise, but manage to swallow it down, because that's not what Serena would do. Instead, I pull myself together, standing a little taller. Great, he nods, gesturing towards the building like a showman. 
So this is it, number 11. As you might expect with the curb appeal, space for three cars in the driveway and close to the sought-after Highgate School, we've had a lot of interest in this one. He turns towards the house and struts down the pristine mosaic path that I already know so well. Hi, Mira. Welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited to have you on with me today to discuss your debut novel, Her. Oh, thanks, Chloe. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. Oh, I'm really pleased to have you. Can you start by telling us what Her is about? Yeah, of course. So um, I'll give you like the short version and then we can kind of <laughs> delve into it in conversation. But essentially, um, whilst it's described as a thriller, I think I would probably describe it more as like a psychological drama. Um, and it's set on a North London suburban street. Um, and it's essentially about these two young women um, who are very, very different, but they strike up an unexpe- unexpected friendship that leads to very devastating consequences. So that's my little short one pitch summary. <laughs> <laughs> I perfected over many months. Yeah, um, but but yeah. that's what we've all got to practice that, that pitch. <laughs> no. I wondered where your inspiration began. I mean, part of me wonders whether you just saw an amazing house and started to think about <laughs> who lived there. You tell, you tell me, where did it all begin? Yeah, of course. So actually, like, um, readers who do do sort of pick up pick up the book probably won't be able to grasp this because I'll, we'll sort of discuss there's so many different themes and stuff in the novel. But actually, for me, like, the seed was... Um, like the, the concept of like loneliness amongst young women, which I just felt like wasn't really talked about. Like when you hear about loneliness, you hear about it in sort of like the elder community and that isolation. Whereas um, with Varney and Natalie, they're both kind of women in their twenties. Um, and, you know, you don't really hear about sort of being isolated from society at that age. Um, and, you know, there's much more emphasis on like, you know, your life is beginning and like seize every opportunity that's available to you and enjoy like, you know, meeting friends and doing new things and all that kind of stuff. But um, <clears throat> certainly my experience in my 20s wasn't like that. And um, so, yeah, I kind of that was that was the seed. Like I wanted to sort of um, reflect that, um, you know, that sort of other side of being. Um, having this societal pressure on you but not feeling like you were sort of part of society for various reasons so so yeah that was it like um Ryan and Athlean very different kind of different ways they both the thing that unites them is is the fact that they are both like um lonely um and sort of feel disconnected from society so yeah that was kind of the, the main seed but yeah definitely the whole like um, we were we were living in a flat at the time um, of sort of COVID when I wrote the novel um, and flat in a very sort of wealthy area where you do get all these lovely houses. So certainly I would be lying if I didn't say that that wasn't part of it as well. Um, just sort of walking past was as we all did, like, you know, on our daily walks and kind of wondering who lived inside and what their story might be like. Um, so, yeah, I think... And yeah, sort of just to speak um, more on this in more depth is that I'm kind of quite obsessed with this idea of like flawed perception. So like we obviously live in the age of social media where there is this sort of compulsion to share the perfect version of your life to the world um, and dress it up for the world. And that's just what we've 
we as a society, particularly in the younger generation, have got used to doing. Um, and, you know, certainly through Natalie, I wanted to show that, that like on the surface, she is this like, you know, perfect creature with everything going for her. Um, but as you like dig a little deeper, you find out that actually um, there's much more than, than meets the eye. And, you know, in, in fact, um, she's she's human, like everyone else with the same problem. So, yeah, I, I think that was sort of part of part of the reason as well. So, yeah, a lot of mixed, <laughs> like mixed sort of inspirations. Yeah. I'm interested to know then kind of you talked about it as as less of a thriller and, and more of a kind of psychological drama. Mm. What made it go down in that direction then rather than let's say kind of um uh, just a, more of a kind of an exploration of loneliness why why were you kind of tempted down that thrillery <laughs> uh, psychological suspense angle that's a really good question Chloe and I think it's probably says more about myself than anything else <laughs> like <laughs> I'm definitely half glass empty with with life than half glass full so I'm I'm quite like a um cynic or I should say realist by nature not a cynic um so I I tend to think that sort of um you know everything is relative but everyone has skeletons in their closet everyone has things that that, that they're fearful of um or you know a past that sort of won't won't let them go kind of thing w whatever that is like um so I I felt like with these characters um I wanted to sort of explore explore the darker side of life and I think um that sort of definitely came out um in my writing like I feel like I'm just drawn to that um uh and you know whilst like with the thriller genre things are kind of maybe exaggerated a little bit in terms of like just to to establish the twist and the element of surprise um I think um you know, it's, it is it is relatable in the sense that there are sort of things that happen to both Rani and Natalie that um, a lot of people have experienced um, in their life as well. So, um, yeah, there it, there is an element of sort of realism as well. So, yeah. Touching back on that kind of realism <laughs> element, one thing that you do do is obviously, apart from kind of having a very um, engrossing page-turning plot, you do touch on kind of wider issues. You talked about their loneliness you talk about um, kind of aspiration in women and mm. um, we talk about race um, and kind of general, more large issues of, about what it's like to be a woman in the 21st century. Mm. How important was it for you to explore those topics as well as kind of creating a exciting plot? Oh yeah. Like that was sort of um, first and foremost for me, I think. And, um, you know, it was partly sort of things like race, for example, and um, perhaps privilege and prejudice and things like that. And um, I, I sort of hadn't really read about in this particular genre to that same degree. Um, um, and, you know, whilst there are books that explore this, like I think there's definitely room for, for more books that explore this. And I think, you know, certainly in Rani, like the, she's British, Asian, like myself. And um, I sort of struggle with the depiction of British Asians in literature, even modern literature, because a lot of the time there is sort of this element of sort of stereotyping in that, like, often I've seen the, the sort of doctor happens to be Asian or the, you know, the, the perfect mother or like the, the straight A student and they have to have an Asian name. Um, whereas with Rani, I kind of wanted to just like throw away all of that and be like, 
this is someone that um hasn't hasn't got her am I allowed to swear (laughs) hasn't got her shit together um and um you know there's there's you know she's a she's a real real woman like you and me and you know whilst she has done has had did do well in education life didn't take her down that road and she ended up being unemployed and like you know she's not married she's living with a partner she had two children out of wedlock which is perhaps not the traditional image of an Indian woman that many people might perceive or that's seen in literature so I kind of wanted to like create this like person that kind of do did away with all stereotypes um and yeah and so that was so that was kind of the sort of race element to it Mm. um and also with prejudice I thought was quite interesting because uh, even with Rani particularly with Rani and Natalie so um you know like for example Natalie's husband is very um prejudiced when he meets Rani like he just sees her as this like scruffy um you know, stay-at-home mom that hasn't got, you know, hasn't got her stuff to shit together and, like, isn't going anywhere. But actually, she's kind of the driving force behind the novel, which is quite interesting. But on the flip side, you see sort of Rani, who's um, maybe her sort of... She sees Natalie through her own lens, and she's prejudiced when she sees Natalie because she sees this, like, well-together, perfect white woman um, and someone that she sort of maybe idolised or wants to be like. Um, and actually, um, at the end of the book, I can't remember exactly the phrase, even though I did write it, um, but she says something like, you know, how wrong I was, like, to assume that you were this kind of person when actually, you know, you had all this stuff going on that you, yeah, that you were sort of dealing with. So, so yeah, the prejudice, like, work definitely works both ways, and I kind of wanted to explore that. Um, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Did you always have it in your mind as a dual narrative or did you ever think you were just going to write it from Rani's perspective? I mean, um, I think there are obviously in 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 your genre, there are so many dual uh, narrative books because you want to kind of hold things back from one character and secrets <laughs> from another. Um, but did you ever consider any other alternative uh, point of view? No, you know what? I think even from the very beginning of writing it, um, I I always kind of envisaged it as a, a dual narrative um novel because um I was kind of interested in the interplay between the two characters. Um, so they where they sort of start off in like very different positions in their lives. So you know, if you were kind of almost plotting it on a graph, like Rani's in a very negative position and Natalie's in a very sort of positive position, but over the course of the novel, it kind of flips or like they they sort of meet in this kind of, yeah, very mutual position. And then you see Rani's fire and you see Natalie's decline. So it's kind of like, I, lo- I liked exploring that, that these two kind of women, their situations kind of flip um and due to certain court sort of certain events um that occur throughout the novel um so I I just couldn't and I think the other thing is what I could do is I could sort of write sort of explore the women through each other's lens and Mm. and see how that changes um and I I found that interesting and I wouldn't be able to do that with um if I just written it from say Rani's perspective so um yeah like I think it, it definitely it definitely sort of adds a certain element to to the book having seeing it from both 
sides and I and I think and I hope readers also go on that journey and see things from both sides as well through the characters um but what did change was actually I started off writing in third person um and I I've been it just felt I don't know what it is maybe I read more novels or have read more novels in third person but it it just felt weird to me writing in first person but actually it was on this course that I did um the CBC course that a lot of um a lot of us did didn't we so um that someone suggested or it was one of like the um sort of one of the pieces of homework we had to do was to flip flip a chapter into different um POV or different um time period or whatever or different yeah and I I kind of changed to to first first person and um everyone was like oh my god the whole book's come alive so so yeah that was a realization for me that like um that it does make a big difference like um yeah so I love that. That just made such a huge difference. And sometimes yeah. it's as simple as, as changing something like that, although right. sometimes the work that goes into changing um, a tense or a, a perspective is, is harder than you think. Um, yes, exactly. But one thing I have, to, I have to pick you up on is that I've read in so many places that you're not a planner. And I and I wonder this <laughs> because you're writing a book that's got twists, you're writing a book that's got, you know, has to be really tightly plotted and paced. How do you do it if you don't plan it? What's your what's your kind of working method? <laughs> Chloe, I have to confess something to you that um the novel that I the original novel is very different to the final version that readers will read. <laughs> and um in in all honesty, um, and I can you know freely admit this that pace is a weakness of mine, um, which is strange when you think about that I'm a, a thriller writer and um, it should be the strength but it's it's character is definitely my strength and pace is my weakness um and and um so you know I, I had really intensive intense structural edits and a lot of it was like this chapter is really beautifully written but what does it do like what <laughs> it, where does it take the novel and I so I really I have to say, I really struggled with pacing, and um, I know the likes of Lisa Jewell. How many novels in she still doesn't plot? But um, I think at some point I'm going to have to admit that, um, like, pantsing is just not the right um, way, the most efficient way for me to write a novel. Um, and I'm going to have to flip to to the plotting side of things because, um, yeah, I, I think. You're right. When you're right, when you're pantsing, you, it's almost perhaps because you don't have this like bigger picture of your novel that when you've plotted it, you can kind of see it scene by scene or chapter by chapter or plot point by plot point. However, you're doing it when you're pantsing, you can't see it like that. You're kind of I feel personally you're too close to the novel to see see the reader's experience of it. Um, so what I'm hoping when I write my um, next novel, whenever that will be, um, I, I'm really going to make a conscious effort to plot and see see where that gets me. <laughs> so yeah, um, that's my big confession. <laughs> <laughs> so placing was your, I guess, uh, the most challenging part of yeah. writing the book. How, I mean, maybe this is a silly question, but say you're, you're given the note, you know, this is a beautiful chapter, but what does it do? how did you how did you make it do something what did you how did you kind of fix your problem with pacing I think like one of the biggest lessons I learned was um 
you know, is that, you know, that famous phrase that everyone says, kill your darlings, is that um, I definitely learned to be less precious about um, words and what I'd written and not see it as a waste of time. Um, so, you know, see it as me kind of telling telling myself the story and um, questioning whether the reader needs to know this information about this character um, and, you know, whether it actually moves the plot along, which is what... Um, yeah, which was what kind of the phrase I had in mind when I was editing, like, does it service the plot? Because that plot is king. Um, so, yeah, I think that was that, that was a, with a lot of it. Um, with the editing process, I basically started by plotting the novel chapter by chapter as its original. And then looking at sort of um, in the next sort of column along what needed to change and then what that did to the plot. So I think potentially like I did plot but the plotting came during the structural edits rather than the, the beginning of much to my editor's dismay um so so yeah I think yeah it's all it's almost like um yeah I, I sort of plotted kind of almost too late um but um it did it did really help help me see sort of what were the key elements um of the novel um um yeah and the story arcs as well. So yeah, I learned I learned a lot. I basically learned how to write a novel during the editing process, <laughs> which was which was really which was a great experience. Um, so yeah. <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I wondered if we could just rewind time a little bit and talk about 
how you got to this point. And I I often think that things change for for writers when there's a moment in their life where they kind of think I'm gonna take my writing seriously or I'm going to start pursuing this professionally. Can you remember? Was there a point when that kind of thought occurred to you, or did this kind of how did this all happen, really? Yeah, of course. So. Yeah, I, I I feel like I'm quite different to most writers. Like when I've listened to like sort of writing podcasts, which I do quite a lot, particularly yours, Chloe. Um, but a lot of a lot of writers, you know, they've always wanted to sort of write. They've always wanted to um, potentially publish a novel and things like that. Um, where I have to sort of um, that that sort of thought really never occurred to me. Like I've I was a reader first and foremost I am still a reader first and foremost I love books um but I never sort of once considered writing my own um I don't know why exactly that is um but it just didn't occur to me as something that like that one could could do um you know and so I I never really so I wrote in the normal way that people do at school when you're writing creative you know when you're doing creative writing I made up stories in my head I was quite I have quite a vivid memory as a child but it it was never something that I thought oh I could potentially you know do do that and write a book and um so for me it was more like I came to writing um as more of like a need like so it was more sort of therapy for me first of all like I kind of wrote um my sort of grief and like the the trauma that I experienced in my life um as as a way of healing because I I didn't really have any other tools available to me and that really helped me and then it was sort of when I was writing I realized one how much I enjoyed it and two like how much I was able to sort of um write in a way that sort of spoke to people um about kind of real things and I and and that was kind of maybe the point where I thought oh you know maybe I am a writer like maybe that is this is something that I could could do um but it wasn't until sort of COVID where I kind of set myself a task um because uh, you know we didn't we don't have kids and um you know and it was basically a way of surviving um the sort of darkness of the world for me and I thought oh, if I could just bury myself in writing a novel um and see and see what happens whether I can even do it um let's 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 see so yeah it was an alternative to baking banana bread I think and that's, <laughs> what, that's what it that's what it was for me um so yeah amazing um <laughs> I always find stories like that really interesting uh because I just think there are some people who from the age of I don't know 18 are learning about editors and agents and and studying the whole industry and then some people just think oh, I just fancy writing a book yeah give it a go <laughs> um and it's yeah, funny I'm how, in that camp. how it works <laughs> yeah I'm definitely in that camp it was like uh you know how some people say oh I'm gonna run a marathon one mm. day right this is this is my equivalent because I could never run a marathon <laughs> so I'm like maybe I can write run one in book form which is what it was like for me yeah. How did you go from that then having a having a finished book um, during COVID to then getting an agent and a book deal? How did the, all that happen? Yeah, so I I actually um, didn't have any industry knowledge. Um, I'm a lawyer by profession. I don't really know anything about um, or I didn't know anything about the industry. I didn't know have any writer friends or anything. Um, but so what I did was when I sort of set myself this task of writing a novel, I thought, well, 
how do I know how to write a novel? I don't know how to write a novel. I don't even know where to start. So I actually applied for the um, Curtis Brown course um, in in the January of 2020. And um, I said to myself, like, if I if I get onto this course, I, I think I have to write a sort of a chapter or something like that. Um, and I said, if I get can get onto this course, it was a three month novel writing course, then that is the accountability part. Like I, you know, it's, it's quite expensive. Um, so I, I really have to write this novel or give it a good go. So they get when I found out, I think it was March time that um I, I got on to sort of um one of the groups. Um that was that was kind of it for me. Um and it was like through that course really that um it gave me the elements of storytelling, which then I sort of applied to um to my novel so I kind of wrote alongside that course and that was um yeah that's how it all happened um yeah so as part of that course actually yeah, you could um submit um to an anthology um and so and and that was kind of the exposure to agents and um at, in, at Curtis Brown and kind of beyond but I think before that I'd had a bit of interest from Curtis Brown a couple of Curtis Brown agents that had um, read some of what I'd written or sort of seen the, the premise or whatever and that gave me a bit of confidence and it kind of um, led me into this you know rather than seeing it as a creative hobby into this sort of whole yeah it sort of opened the door to the industry almost um, and that's when I began to re research agents and know and learn about this querying process and all, all that kind of thing um and so I, I kind of I'm not a very patient person um you know a lot of people it just depends on your personality like in fact a lot of my um the students that were studying with me like they you know they're very much perfectionists and like like to sort of be in a different position with their novel but I was very much like I don't know if this is any good until I submit it to a mm experienced professional that can tell me whether this is any good or not or has potential whatever so yeah then I thought you know let me just um select five agents that I like the look of or that I've you know who represent authors that um that I that I love um and see where this gets me and then I also submitted to a, the Curtis one of the Curtis Brown agents who um showed interest in my novel um so yeah it kind of went from there and um yeah, I had quite a few full manuscript requests. And in the end, um, I had three offers. So, so yeah, it was kind of one of those things where I was just almost just like, you know, like seeing each stage and seeing how far I get and like treading the water and kind of going along along that kind of road and, and seeing where it would get me. Um, so, yeah, and then I, I signed with my agent not long after that, which was, which was great. <laughs> Brilliant. And you've been probably one of, in a, in a nice way, one of the most vocal kind of debuts that I know in yeah. talking about the kind of difficulties of, well, we'll talk about kind of publishing in, in general in a minute, but mm -hmm. also about how to juggle a full-time job and a very demanding mm -hmm. job with writing um, and that's kind of struggling to fit it in. So what's your advice for anyone that's feeling like, they can't fit writing around their job what what do you do what's your coping method yeah for sure I I think um you're right um when you have a full-time job or whether that's um a job or care of responsibilities you know where your priority is elsewhere and you don't have this 
long period of time um, in, in a day to write, um, it can feel really daunting. Um, and, and you can feel like there's no point you even starting this because you'll never get to the end um because you know I I that's a natural feeling to have and I certainly felt like that um but you know what what really helps me and it's I think it's a piece of advice that is is sort of given a lot but um like I feel like writing on a regular basis um so in short sprints so you know waking up maybe half an hour to sort of 40 minutes earlier than you would um or going or going to bed sort of 30 minutes 40 minutes later than you would and just seeing what sort of comes out then because you know what I found is that when you have a break in your writing it takes so much longer to sink back into the story and you lose your momentum um because it's a whole different world that you've created um and it's really easy to sort of throw be thrown out of it into daily your daily reality um so yeah I I would say little and often is is the way um to create a novel um because yeah because you, it's it's so much easier to sort of continue something that you're sort of kind of doing on a daily basis on a regular and, and keeping that flow um flow going um and then I mean you if if you can take annual leave which is sometimes what I've done. Unfortunately, I've got to the point where I've taken too much annual leave that I haven't felt like I've had a break. Um, so I wouldn't go as far as as far as that. But if you can take like an odd Friday off um, and make it a long weekend of writing, that sometimes really helps. And I've done that a few times, sort of almost create your own writing retreat, but at home um, and give and give yourself that time. Um, but yeah, I, I do I do really sympathize with people that are juggling writing with a lot because I know full-time writers struggle. So imagine what it's like writing with a full-time job or with full-time caring responsibilities. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Um, thank, thank you, Mira, for that advice. Actually, I think that's that's really helpful and really great advice. Um, because I think it's easy to say, um, you know, oh well, you just you just fit it in, but I don't mm. think many people have that luxury that they can just, um, you know, forget about work and write. I think most people, you know, we have to earn some money somewhere. Exactly. Um, exactly. I've been so grateful to see authors like you and others help try and demystify the publishing process because there's so many layers to it and it is, can can be incredibly confusing and complicated to navigate particularly when you've never had any experience in it and I know you've done some really brilliant posts on Instagram about it which I will direct people to and you've also written for the bookseller but I wondered whether you could give us your best advice for coping with the ups and downs and the madness <laughs> of being published yeah of, of course um by all means yes um I I think probably the, the sort of biggest thing for me the biggest learning curve for me um is that um as I mentioned earlier I was very new to the industry when I um started writing um and it sort of all happened relatively quickly for me and um whilst that was you know I'm extremely grateful for that um what that did was give me a flawed perception of the industry um in the sense that sort of the the sort of the picture created of the industry whether that's by media whether that's by authors um whether that's by publishers 
um, is is one of sort of um, success stories. And, and that's kind of what we hear, um, whether that's like the big the big success stories or just the, the little milestone success stories. But what what I found was sort of le- very sort of um, not really talked about was the other side to things. Um, and I do feel like that there was this there is this pressure on authors to sort of convey things in, in a certain light, um, which which may um, be kind of misleading um, or sort of omit um, the bigger picture. Um, so what I would say um, with with advice is, is to keep your expectations and your goals realistic. So, you know, um, when when going into sort of querying with agents, when going into sort of um, submitting to publishers and all of that stuff, because, you know, the bookseller articles, those big deals, those big foreign de- rights deals, you know, they, they really are so so rare and it it doesn't feel that way because that's all you can really see and consume but you know there are so many of us that are um sort of have a very different experience um and so I think it's important to sort of value the the all the other experiences that come with it um and yeah keep your keep your expectations sort of realistic in that sense um, and I think that's maybe sort of what I I, I need to do going forward as well, um, because we don't have enough of celebrating the achievements. Like, I, I don't think I ever, when I got to the end of my novel, I actually kind of commemorated that moment. And um, I don't think I ever commemorated any of those moments because I was always thinking about, oh, what's next? And, um, you know, when, where, where are my foreign rights deals? Where are my TV deals? All of that kind of stuff. But but that really isn't the reality um, for most for most authors from the get go anyway. That stuff may come later. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think that that is probably the biggest learning curve for me. Um, and the other part of it is you know only consume what you want to consume. Like if if those if those stories get you down, um, it's okay not to you know it's okay to sort of go off social media for a bit or it's okay to not read the bookseller that's that's completely okay um you know stay sometimes staying in your little bubble of, of writing your novel and enjoying that process um is is just sometimes all you, all you really need to keep you going mm-hmm. so, yeah on the note of keeping going i'm going to quote yourself back to you <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> <laughs> um and you said I'd be lying if I said the last two years hasn't stifled my creativity and caused me to question my future in this industry, which is a big statement. And I know mm. obviously mm. there are ups and downs and this is probably a, a moment where you felt a bit down about things, but mm. I wondered what keeps you going? What makes you think, no, I will not let this stifle my creativity. I'll <laughs> carry on um what what do you what do you do on those days oh well um it depends on the day Chloe (laughs) (laughs) sometimes I just love to wallow um no in all seriousness um yeah I think every writer um feels like that even even like the real top sellers um because their their road hasn't generally been a linear road I'm sure there's been loads of knocks along the way um so 
I think part of being a writer, like what really helped me is when I signed with my agent, um, what I what I really loved about her and what I was drawn to and what made me sign with her was um sort of I remember her saying to me, you know, this book probably won't make you a bestseller. This book, um, you know, it's a very, very good book, but it's for various reasons, um, which I won't go into because it's quite boring. But um, you know, it may it may not be the book to sort of make you a mainstream author. But um <clears throat> that's okay. That's completely okay. Um, it's it's a marathon, not a sprint. And um, you know, if we're lucky, we we can we can see ourselves doing this career. We hope to do this career for many years to come. Um, so if you have everything you want on your first novel, where do you go from there? Yeah. Um, where where do you go? And and you know, sometimes you you know it all it fall it all falls away. Um, so I, I that's kind of what's helped me is like seeing it as very small, tiny steps um, in the right direction. And when you see them as small steps, the small steps that set you back aren't as bad. Um, so there's kind of that perspective to things, but there's also um, whilst whilst you know we were saying offline as well, Chloe, that we do need to um, make money from this. You know, you 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 spend a lot of time writing um, and whilst you do it because you love it um, you do need to see some financial incentive to keep going um, and that's and that's completely fair um, but then you know none of us should go into this career purely for the financial incentive so I think sometimes it's it's good to sort of all strip it back and and now I'm all I'm almost kind of seeing it as like a really time-consuming hobby opposed <laughs> to like a career um because um I'm very 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 early on in in this in this sort of career um and it doesn't really feel like a career most days because I'm not writing really most days so so yeah I think I think I need to be grateful and I've I kind of force myself as as often as I can to be grateful that I have the the process to be able to write you know I have the tools to be able to write um I have the joy of writing still and I if that falls away then things will be difficult but but for now I still I still enjoy writing I still enjoy doing things like this I'm I still enjoy being an author so that's there's enough for me to keep going there um so yeah a very long-winded answer to your question so finally Mira can you give us a little tease about what you're working on at the moment um I know that um the paperback of her is is imminent but can you give us a little tease about the uh, next book you're working on yeah of course so um I've just handed in my second round of structural edits for my second book um which is um it's kind of very different because um, when I wrote her, I didn't really write um, with the knowledge that I had, the commercial knowledge, the industry knowledge. I didn't even write to publish. Um, I wrote it because I, 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 as a way of sort of um, coping with the world. So with, with this novel, I kind of acquired all that knowledge um, and I applied it. So it's, it's much more commercial in terms of pitch. Um, so essentially it's kind of a a family drama like with with sort of set in a, an exotic location and it's like a locked room thriller um yeah so it's it's set in a 
a, a place, a remote little hilltop village in Italy that becomes an island um, and people are trapped there um, and secrets sort of are exposed. Um, so, so yeah, I think it's, um, it's definitely sort of, I really like it because because it's much it taps taps into what people are reading and wanting to read mm. um it's called the house sitter and it's out next june i believe so yeah not long to go really um, brilliant well i mean obviously with with you're still doing publicity and things for her but i'm sure you'll be doing stuff for the house sitter next year as well and i'm really excited to to see it all unfold and and read your next book as well but thank you so thank much you. for joining me on the podcast today Thank you so much, Chloe. It's been lovely to be here. That was Mira Vishar talking about her psychological suspense novel, Her, which is out now and available to buy. And if you'd like to support this podcast, debut authors and independent bookshops, you can now shop in the Confessions of a Debut Novelist bookshop hosted by bookshop.org, which I've linked down below in the show notes. If you fancy buying any of the books you've heard on this podcast, then the majority of them can be found in this bookshop. And if you can, I would really appreciate you supporting me, supporting the authors and independent bookshops by buying them through this online store. Thank you so much for listening. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you've subscribed already, it would be great if you could leave me a review. See you next time. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.